Good morning. Good morning, church family. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you. Uh, spring forward, spring forward, spring forward. I want you to be very gracious at about 11.30. If anybody shows up, don't make them feel that all of life has been missed. The uh, reduction in children at the front of the church is an indication, too, of the challenges when time changes for family. And so uh, Ruth Ann and I, we remember when we were in that position uh, with little children, and uh, we know the challenges incumbent on that. But glad you made it. Glad that you are here uh, to worship and to be with God's people and to hear His Word. Amen? I'm going to invite you. I'm at the age now where I have to take off glasses and put it back on, uh, to pray this prayer with me as we uh, prepare ourselves to hear the reading of God's Word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the Scriptures are read and your Word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Genesis chapter 15, reading from verse 1 through to verse 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then that very important verse. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, 
and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. And then the Lord said to Abraham, Know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you yourself, you shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down, and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, and on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. This is the word of the Lord. What do you do when you can't see the fulfillment of that which God has promised? Abraham and his wife depending on how you want to pronounce it, Sarah, Sarai, it's probably a little bit more apt, find themselves in between that which is promised and hoped for and its fulfillment. I want to suggest to you that most of our Christian life is lived in that space. The promises of God and its fulfilled hope. That most of Christianity exists in between that which God has done and committed himself to doing and seeing all of that being fulfilled one day. And the way we live in this in-between, the already and the not yet, is how biblical scholars will describe this, is really important. In fact, in the season of Lent, I would suggest to us that it is such a season that reminds us that we often find ourselves living in between things and yet being invited to practice faith even when we cannot see the outcome. That oftentimes, the invitation of God is not to a, uh, a faith that derives from some kind of perceived certainty but a faith that is contingent upon what he said he would do. The very essence of the Christian life is an invitation to believe in that which God has committed he will do. To which God's people say amen. Abram, he's called Abram here. He will be called Abraham later. One could probably preach a lot on just name changes in the Bible. Saul to Paul. Abram to Abraham. There's something significant about the change in name for Abram because it signifies not just that uh, they wanted more syllables, God wanted more syllables in Abram's name. But it signifies a change in Abram himself. He would be renamed Abraham as a part of God's promised fulfillment to make him 
the father of many. That is what his name means. Uh, this Abraham, however, is, he is held up and, and sometimes we overlook Sarah. Uh, she is as important, I would argue, scripturally, to any success in terms of offspring. And so when God comes and invites Abraham to follow him out of the place that he was familiar with, the people, the land, the culture, the way of life, he obeys and he goes. He leaves a lot behind in pursuit of the invitation to fulfill the promise of God. Now, you know, there's people here amongst us who understand in part what it means to leave behind family, familiarity, and culture in the pursuit of something which one cannot know for certain will be, but that one hopes will be. And I think when you get inside the story, you understand that when Abraham is being described here as the one who responds to God with some questions, if one considers all that he has already been through, all that he has already said yes to, if one considers the journey that they've made and the promise that God had made to Abraham, one develops perhaps a sensitivity to the questioning that emerges in the text. God promised Abraham that he will be the father of a great nation, a people that will be blessed and who will be a blessing to many. In order for this promise to be fulfilled, two things need to happen. First of all, the people will need, uh, Abram will need a, a place to call his own. He will need a land. It is not yet discerned what that would be, at least in Abraham's mind. And the second thing he would need, he would actually need a child. No child, no nation. No land, no forming of a people. And you understand that when Abram has said yes to all these things and now finds himself before God, who again says to him, there's great promise that I have made to you, we rightfully understand his questioning spirit. I do not have a son. So I'm going to kind of make the way myself. And then God says, no, 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 no. no. That plan is not going to work. I don't know... <laughs> I don't know if you've ever caught yourself telling God a good plan. I got a great plan for you, God. If you would just get on board. In the absence of seeing how you're going to make what you promised, I've decided a different route. I decided that I'm going to take things into my own hands. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to make it happen. For some of us who are prone, to action, to activity, to doing, to accomplishing. Sometimes the faith we are called to exercise is a patient faith. One that the scriptures repeatedly say, wait upon the Lord. Learn to wait upon the Lord. I got to be honest with you. This is not in my notes, free of charge. 
that sometimes waiting is one of the most difficult things to do, but one of the most important practices of faith. So God says, listen, I know you have a plan. I have a better plan. Even though there's no child yet with Sarai, I promise you that you will have a child. And by the way, don't have time to get into this, but we often read this text and we say, well, maybe Sarai was barren. It could be the problem was with Abram. And so far, nothing had materialized. So, you know, we read the scripture through perhaps our Western lens of thinking, well, the problem must be, but we all know today that the problem could have been, the, 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 the challenge could have been with Abraham as much as with Sarah. And both of them are in this place of saying, we don't see the promises yet. Abraham says, this is how it's going to happen. God says, no, I've got a different plan for you. And by the way, by the way, I'm going to give you so many heirs that you cannot count them, just like you can't count the stars, so you cannot count how much I will bless you. And then it says this, and Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now get this. Then God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. This is right after he says that he believes the Lord. But Abraham says, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? There's just so much humanity in there. So much honesty in there. Sometimes when we talk about faith, we talk about faith as kind of the static reality. We believe once, therefore it is enough. But faith is something we practice daily. We recognize that every day we wake, we have to make a conscious decision. Whether we would trust in the story of Scripture or trust in the story that is emerging in our world. Every day that we awaken, we are invited to put our confidence and trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ, or, as many of us are enticed, to put our confidence and trust in things that ultimately cannot save us. And so here we find Abraham saying to the Lord, how shall this happen? How will I know that I will possess this land? You know, uh, a few, uh, about a year ago, currently I'm a student, I'm reading a number of different books, and some of them are really good. And some of them, I wonder what the prof was thinking. <laughs> I try to say to our children all the time that it's not even so much sometimes about what is being assigned, but the process of learning how to become a good student. But I have to admit, I kind of question that at times when I read some of the books I've given. But there was this one book given that had authors from right around the world Authors that were writing from different contexts about the same subject of what it means to be the church in their context, in their place. And there was one Palestinian Christian author who wrote about a theology of land as being essential to understanding who the church is to be. And he says that one cannot truly understand the story of Scripture, indeed the story of Jesus and his salvation, if one ignores the significance of land to the formation of people. And we as Westerners perhaps have less a sense of the value of land 
But let me remind you, from creation, from the beginning, when God made and God placed man in this beautiful creation, he gave us, invested in us, the responsibility to care for the land. The land was not just simply something to be abused and used up, but like we are to be caretakers of the land, as God is caretakers of creation, we are supposed to care for it in such a way that the land is not just used up, but can flourish and bring glory to God. Another side point. You know that commandments that God gives to the people of God has nestled in the middle of it a commandment to Sabbath rest. Do you know that Sabbath rest is not only extended to us, but it is to be extended through us to others and even to the land from which all of us derive our livelihood, our sustenance, and dare I even say, our sense of identity. When God promises Abraham that he will make him Abraham and promises that he will do so through a child of his own, what will become essential is that Abraham will learn to trust God and to learn to live in a land in such faith doing that which God has called him to do. But like us, he asked the question that if we're honest, we would ask, how will this happen? How will this come to pass? Beginning in verse 17, there is this, and for those of you who've been part of our church for a long time, you've heard me speak about this, but there is this strange phenomenon that happened. God, in response to Abraham's question, how will I know that I will possess the land, uh, tells him to start slaughtering some animals. He has to cut these animals in half, and the reason why they don't cut the smaller animals in half is perhaps because they're small, a little bit tougher. It is, however, a gruesome picture, isn't it? You have the animals, and then you create this gauntlet of bloody carcasses. The right or treaty that is being presented here is a treaty that goes something like this. If in the ancient world, uh, two kings were trying to find peace, they were trying to agree, they would participate in a covenant that we today, kind of biblical language, called a suzerain kind of treaty. This is how it worked. The one that had the more, most power, the king with the greatest army, the most powerful king, would tell the lesser king that we have to cut these animals in half and create this gauntlet, and then the powerful king would make the less powerful king walk through the gauntlet, and as he walked through the bloody, bloody gauntlet, he was supposed to consider that if he broke his commitment. If he went back on his commitment to peace, that the bloody carcasses would be a description of what would happen to him. And as God responds to Abraham with this commitment 
that I will do what I said I will do. He invites him to participate in this treaty. And as it's all set up and bloody, Abram falls into a trance. And in the dream he has, a smoking pot and fire emerges and goes through the carcass gauntlet. And then the scripture says, on that day, God sealed the covenant with Abraham. In the Bible, when there is smoke and a fire, there is God, especially in the Old Testament. God's response to Abraham's question is given to him through a a bloody gauntlet rite of passage through which by the cultural standards of the day, Abram himself should have walked through, saying that, God, I will do everything I need to do because you are God and I am not. But instead, Abram is given a vision of this God who is represented through the fire and the smoking pot that walks ahead of him, saying to Abraham that the promises I made to you is not entirely contingent upon you. It is contingent upon me. The land that I've committed to give you, I will give you because I am the God who walks ahead of you, ensuring that at even cost to myself, that what I have promised, I will do. And the bloody gauntlet prefigures Jesus the incarnate God who walks up with a bloody cross is hung from it and says to each and every one of us that the same God who walked ahead of Abraham is the same God who walks ahead of us. Get this. Not just that he walks ahead of us, but that he places himself in the place of experiencing the pain that should be ours so that we would experience the hope that is his. God is ahead of us. There is no road, no path, no challenge that he is not only willing to walk, but has walked. You know, when we live our life in the strains and the stresses and the pressures and the challenges and the disappointments, when we live our lives through the hardships and we cry out and we say, God, we cannot see, we do not know. The story of Abraham, indeed the story of Scripture, says to us we have a God that not only says that he will be with us, but that he would walk the road ahead of us. What a Savior. What a Lord. I, 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 I don't know if you've experienced this in life, but when you go through some pretty tough times, some of the people that are the most comforting are the people who have walked that road before. Sometimes we can say some insensitive things because we haven't experienced some things. 
You know, sometimes the, 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 the cliche things we are tempted to say, well, everything happens for a reason. It's just not helpful. Though I believe we can say just trust God because God is trustworthy at times when people are not sure about what the future holds, when people are struggling, the the, the response we have is not just to say, you know, everything will work out in the end. You know, that's what I call a, a cheap faith. A faith that does not acknowledge that sometimes in the process of following God, there's some hardship. Do you know what the text says? You know, as this gauntlet is revealed and as God reveals his plan to Abraham, he said, there'll be some hard things going to happen to your people. 400 years. They're not going to have their own land. They're going to know themselves. They're going to struggle. They're going to have to figure some things out. You know, when... (laughs) When, when I think about that, I, the, the lectionary that I use is kind of a preaching guide for what I preach. Omits those few verses that has the hard parts. I, I was tempted to do the same. I thought, you know, let me just talk about the God who goes ahead. But, you know, the, the, the scripture testifies to a reality about the God who walks ahead of us that, that goes something like this. Sometimes where that God walks is hard places for us to follow. And the faith that Abraham has is a faith that maybe we can say began when he was called and is affirmed again in the text here, but it is a faith that he will learn the depth and the meaning of as he learns to follow this God who walks ahead of him. God walks ahead of his people throughout Scripture. In Christ, God walks ahead of us to the cross. And today, by his Spirit, he moves ahead of us even when the road is tough. Thanks be to God. (sighs) Don't be afraid, Abraham. That's the first thing God says. (laughs) I've, I've, I've recognized in my own life that fear often keeps me from faith. Do you know what the opposite of, of, of faith is? It's is, is not doubt. I think it's fear. It, 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 it's, not, it's not that, that, you know, in fact, the word be, being used here when, that we all quote so often, Paul uses and then James, James counters in the New Testament. But the word that is used here, believe, is a relational world. It's, it's not just kind of this, um, this, uh, this kind of interior thought process. So, so I believe that this could be. It is actually more, I, I place my trust in you. Uh, you know, the invitation is not just simply to a mental uh, ascent that this could be. It is actually uh, Abram saying to God, I I'm going to trust you even though I don't see it yet. I'm going to believe you with my life. I'm going to start following you wherever you lead me. In fact, let me put it to you this way. 
It is not long after this where God gives him the heir. And that heir, God then asks him to give back to God. And Abraham walks the mountain to give Isaac back to God. And in the experience of going up the mountain, I don't know what's going on in Abraham's head, but when he gets to the top, God is there. And God provides a way because God is always moving ahead of God's people. And you can trust him that even if you get into the places of following him, that just does not make sense. He is already there. That's the best I got. I think when I consider my life and I consider the challenges over the years that I have faced, there's a couple of things that have helped me. When I face enormous challenges, I remind myself as I think about what God has brought me through, that when I remember the times at which I felt that the valley was really low and the mountains were really high, that God was there. I have a sense as a pastor, and you know, sometimes pastors blame the Holy Spirit for a lot of stuff. But I have the sense that we as God's people, we need a word of hope for this season. The word of hope from God's word through Abraham is not a cheap hope. It's not a, just trust and it'll be all right. <laughs> you know, just kind of think about it and it'll be okay. It's the kind of word that says, even when you don't understand, and even when I have made commitments and promises that your hope will come true, even when you have to wait, even when you have to wait, I am faithful. What kind of faith does Abraham exemplify? I think he shows us that faith is about trust. When I first started preaching many years ago, and with this I close, um, that's so cliche of preachers, isn't it? You know, that this, with this I close. I don't speak that way. Like, I don't know. I'll close soon. Uh, I read a, a little devotional when I, when I you know, gave my life to Christ entirely. I read a little devotional, and there was this illustration of faith in the devotional, and it referenced Niagara Falls. I had not been on a plane. I didn't even dream of ever traveling. We grew up very, very poor. And there was no sense that I could ever know what Niagara Falls is really like. And I've been there a lot of times now. I, I, I apologize to our American friends, but the Canadian side is much better than the American side. <laughs> and the illustration went something like this, describing the difference between real faith and, and kind of just belief. Such a silly illustration. There was a daredevil that was walking a tightrope across Niagara Falls. By the way, this has happened, actually. If you've ever gone there, that's just crazy. It's just nuts. <laughs> and, and, and as he's walking, the crowd is cheering, and, you know, and, 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 then, and then, you know, the, 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 the illustration goes. I don't think this really happened, but the illustration is worth telling. 
the, the tightrope walker says, uh, you know, do you believe that I can, can do it again? I can go over again without falling. Yeah, you know, we, we're like the crowd so many times. We'll be cheering somebody on until they fall off the rope, right? It's like, yeah, do it again, you know? Like, yeah, we believe. We like to watch spectator sport. That's sometimes what faith is like. It's like, you know, we like to watch somebody else's faith in action. <laughs> you know, we like, to, we like to applaud. Yeah, you, you go. <laughs> you do. And then the tightrope walker turns to the crowd and says, okay, I'm going to walk across this time with a wheelbarrow. Who wants to go with me? <laughs> Remember reading the devotional thing? That's kind of a cool story. Because when you, when you start preaching, you need cool stories, right? Because <laughs> you don't have a lot to say yet, so you've got to have good stories. I was joking with somebody recently. I said, man, if you listen to what I said when I began, God has been good to me. <laughs> I'm just happy we didn't record all those first sermons. There was a lot of stuttering and figuring out. But the point was made, and the point is made, is when it comes down to it, this thing that we call Christianity requires not just a belief, but a trust. The kind of trust that says, no matter where we go and how hard it gets, my confidence is in the God who goes ahead of me. There's no road he does not know. There's no darkness he has not entered. There is no challenge. That's my ding to say I'm done. Did you hear it? My hearing is still good. I'm not that old. I can see it. There's no path that he has not been. I thank him for that. I thank him for that. In the season of Lent, as we journey towards Resurrection Sunday, I want us to respond with the kind of trust that might require some name changes. <laughs> you know, names used to mean a lot more than they do today. Today, we choose names based upon, like, we just like that name. But the kind of uh, trust that requires us to start thinking about ourselves in light of who God is and not God in light of who we are. You see, if we begin with Abram, to be honest, he's not that impressive, really. Kind of struggles, stutters, doesn't always get it right. But when God calls and when God promises, God changes feebleness, doubt, and even questioning into faithfulness, into following, and into obedience. Season of Lent is an invitation to live out of the identity that God gives us that of a people of faith, not fear.
Fear is exhausting. Fear is crippling. Fear destroys. Fears create anxiety. Fear threatens faith. Father, this morning, I pray your blessing upon your people. I preach not as one who do not know them. I preach as one who needs to hear the word as we all do. May what has been said, what has been sung, what has been lifted up as your gospel and your hope. Liberate us, empower us, encourage us, and lead us. We pray this in your name. Amen.